Hey family, I'm Mark, and this is the Kinship Collective Podcast. We are ending otherness by sharing and lamenting and celebrating our stories and reimagining scripture together. We're building empathy and solidarity and realizing that we are family. This week, we get to hang with Gail Song Bantam and Dr. Brian Bantam and talk about their new book, Choosing Us a book about marriage and mutual flourishing in a world of difference. This is the best book on marriage I've ever read because they take partnership from a perspective that is nuanced and complex, that honors each person's diverse story, the story that they bring to the relationship and the ways they create a story together. Our conversation gets into gender roles and patriarchy and what we can do about that air that we breathe. And then I try to fumble my way through reading Ephesians 5 verses 21 through 32 in an inclusive way. And Dr. Brian helps us think about the context of that scripture and the trajectory of the whole story. This is a really important conversation. Let's get to it. Here's Gail and Brian. Ladies and gentlemen, today from Seattle, Washington, we have the lead pastor of Quest Church. We have the person who has created multiple mentoring groups for women and leaders of color. She's spoken all over the place, but she's really nationally known for speaking on topics of justice and leadership and mentorship. She is incredible. Also, we have from the very same state and household, the (laughs) professor of the, not A, we'll say A, but he is, well, no, he's the, ladies and gentlemen, the Neil F. and Ila uh, Fisher, professor of theology at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. When we're introducing two people, it gets longer and longer. But <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, today we have Gail Song Bantam and Brian Bantam. Give it up for <laughs> Oh my goodness. These people have been waiting forever. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all. Y- y'all are too kind. Can we get to the convo, y'all? All right. Wow. <laughs> Come on. Gail and Brian, thank you for joining us today. Um, I've already said too many ums for my partner. She's going to rip me already. But I feel like I'm kind of in awe because my partner and I are coming off of this season of discernment. I love the last chapter of your book about covenant and who we are together and what we've chosen to become and the ways that we fit each other's lives. But one of the the t- determining kind of like words in my own mind as I was navigating in my own community was flourishing. Like I want you to flourish and I want me to flourish and can we flourish together and what does that look like? And so I'm on Instagram and I'm talking I think with Brandy at the time and she maybe plugs your book or somebody plugs your book and I look at the title and I say choosing us marriage and mutual flourishing in a world of difference 
And I start to look, I'm like this, this, I don't know if this is a subtitle, you know, tagline. I'm like, this is exactly what I need. This is exactly what the world needs. And then when I get into it and understand the ways you unpack the world of difference, it's really, really meaningful for me. And I think it's just an extraordinary gift into the world. So thank you for writing that. I've introduced you a little bit. Would you guys like to share together who you are or maybe this kind of side of pandemic, this side of the book or, or partnership? That's a big question with very little target that I just gave you. <laughs> what, what about this big old thing right here? And uh, maybe say Basically, something. Basically, can you can y'all just talk a little bit? Just sure. Words. <laughs> well, it's good. I mean, it's it's great to be with you, Mark. And I really we I think we both. I think every time we we you know, hear folks talk about how the book has kind of touched them in any form or fashion. Um, it means a lot to us. Um, and, and I think a lot of ways the book is, is just a kind of little piece of, of our life together that we've, we want to share. And so it is actually really tender and it is, it does feel really a little bit scary, I think, to have, have those stories, those stories out there. Um, but in some ways, like it is, it's reflective of us, um, and of the, of the difficulty of trying to figure out what life looks like together. Um, and, and what we're still learning, I think in lots of ways, and especially in the midst of a pandemic, you know, whoever, for whatever reason, we decided to write a book and then the pandemic happened and then <laughs> uh, we were like, and then that just put a whole new gloss on the, on the whole thing. That's so funny to me. Whenever I think of the pandemic, I think of the ways that it just exacerbated the things that were. And so to hear that the book came before the pandemic, where the pandemic slowed a lot of people down, in my mind, I assumed that, oh, you guys got to slow down. And then you, you, you figured, oh, this is some time to do this. But to hear that, no, we made a plan to write this thing. And then the pandemic put our shoulders directly into one another, raising the boys, leading the things, doing all the things together with like just little space to be. That's a whole different kind of, endeavor Gail, yeah you and you know when when the boys all came back from their respective places during the pandemic and life got real i think mm. that's when that's when for me similar to brian this book is simultaneously exciting that it's out in the world and frightening because what a lot of people don't know about me i am very public in the work that i do but i'm actually a very private person and so just the other day I was talking to a colleague and I said, oh my gosh, like I can't take anything back. <laughs> like it, yeah. it's out there and it is what it is, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that just hit me partly because it's my first book. Mm. It's Brian's third book. So I'm just kind of going through the newness of what it means to be an author and that your mm. words are out in the world, mm -hmm. uh, your stories out in the world. And that's, um, you know, it's a particular place to be. Yeah. What's interesting to me about that is as a speaker, your words have always been out in the world. That's true. It's interesting that when you sit and write it, there's a newer feeling that comes from you. It's, I want to say yeah. this, Gail, mm. the way that I interpreted your voice, there was a moment where I had to just stop and appreciate your voice because the, the, not the depiction, but I sense you 
as this woman who's grown up in these different spaces, finding a home in, in a, in black spaces or in the black church. Mm -hmm. And to me, there's a, there's charisma, there's, um, a boisterousness. Um, there's big, not just flamboyant, but there's just big presence. And, and, um, and, and for me, there's space to be, there's just a, a bigness of that. And when I read your, your, your words back to what made me bring, brought this up in my mind, I really felt this not calculated, but a sense of awe and curiosity like you led with a lot of questions throughout the book. You would say, well, what if this? And what if this might be that? And I really mm. appreciated that so much when I would see Brian and when I would see you. So I just want to thank you for the ways that you have shown up with these words. It, it's meaningful. Mm. And it, not just to me. I, I know. I, I, I have, I'm in a, I just text like a, a group of couples. I don't know if you know Myra Macedo Nolan is in there mm -hmm. and her partner Chris and another couple. And I'm like, yo, y'all, I can't wait to get into this book together. I sent it to a couple that's going through some challenges and mm -hmm. all all that just to say Love it. your voice in that is helpful. And especially that posture of curiosity and wonder and questioning that that pause. So Thank you. Mark, that means a lot to me, actually, because I think what some people may not know is um, I live with this guy <laughs> who is a scholar, a writer, a theologian. And mm. in a lot of senses, there there is a lot of insecurity. I have mm -hmm. my own gifts for sure. But when it comes to this medium of writing, of communicating something in a particular way, you know, there was a lot of insecurity there, and Brian can probably attest to this. Um, so for for people, for me to hear people say, your words mattered, and mm -hmm, I heard mm -hmm. your voice in this, is, it, man, it's touching. Yeah. 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 The, th the thing that's actually, that I, and this is actually the first time, I think, and we've been doing a bunch of interviews now. And this is like one of the first times, this is, the, this is a, a really unique thing that someone has actually observed. But what I actually really appreciate about it is that what you're seeing is what I get to see every day, which is those are, those are the questions, that's just her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those, so mm. she, she's like a woman of possibility. It's always, what if we could? Mm -hmm. um, and even, I mean, even the book comes out of that. Like, what if we wrote a book together? Mm -hmm. What if we do this? Mm -hmm. um, and and so I just feel like I mean so, thanks so much for for seeing that because that is so much of of who she is um, mm -hmm. as a person too and to have that have have been captured in words is is amazing. Mm. And I think about what that means for you, Gail, as a leader, like that kind of leader who leads with it's because you you showed us some of the centeredness the. I would say like faithfulness of who you are, which is is beautiful because it comes from traditions long before us in these spaces mm. where we were shaped to believe, where we were shaped to express, where we were shaped. And then I think even now it's a newer space where a lot more people feel opened to question differently. And there's a question towards possibility and there's a question towards, I would even say um, functionality or practicality or how does this actually function for us? How does this belief actually work? Does this exclude people? Does this include people? Does this empower us? Does this disempower us? And I, I really appreciate that about the book and about who you are. So 
I think about how that shows up in other spheres of influence. And when I look mm-hmm. at like the, the leadership tree at Quest Church, it's a beautiful, diverse group of wonderful people. So that's mm-hmm. really cool. Thank you, Mark. That Brian, Gail, you're so welcome. And uh, I want to be sure, like, because I was sharing with, with Brian earlier, I am biracial. My mother is white. My dad is black. They split when I was five. That meant poverty. That meant navigating a world where I'm shaped prime, predominantly this sphere of influence. My white mother is kind of like shaping how I think about God and how I think about the world. And so I resonate a lot with his voice. And I'm just kind of like locating myself because I really want to make sure that I, that we center you, Gail, and your voice in the conversation because I just I so naturally I think resonate with what Brian said mm-hmm. or some of his mm-hmm. position in the book and I want to go to that a place in there now too about what you said Brian <clears throat> a friend of mine I don't know if you know Mark Chase um, yeah. he's a, yeah. a he's a friend of Christine Sue and he he told me I grabbed the book and he had put a quote of the book on his Instagram feed and I said yo I can't uh-huh. wait to get into it da 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 and he said Yo, chapter four, Mark, chapter four. And I said, what is chapter four about? And then, and there was patriarchy. And then I'm thinking, okay, Gail's about to let me know. Okay, here we go. And then Brian starts to talk to me about this journey. And it resonates so deeply within me. I love, Brian, one of the things that you talked about, the pull of patriarchy almost like you didn't call it an undercurrent you called it a riptide that just the dangerous riptide that can pull us away from our family pull us away from ultimately our life and you describe patriarchy as that in the ways that it happened and the reason again why it resonated so deeply with me I grew up with my mom oh I can cook oh I can clean I can I know all this stuff and I'm thinking I'm doing something but really it's like I'm choosing to participate never really like exerting myself beyond uh, what's comfortable or what I've known, what I've come to know growing up. It's just kind of natural reaction still. But then you say, you, you, and I have, to, I have to pull this quote out because you really articulated this thing that I think the sisters will appreciate and that I know I appreciate. Here we go. Oh, here we go. Yeah, and you didn't, yeah, you, you said on page 84, you said, you would tell Gail, (laughs) I would say, just tell me what to do and I'll be happy to do it. And her response was, but creating that list is also work. And so he communicates this piece and maybe Gail, you can communicate. So that resonated with me, but back to it, just all this articulation of, yes, this thing is like serving me. We've, we've built our lives and just like you two, my partner and I, we were just making it up as we were going along. We were trying to figure it out as we went. And and that that meant almost some sometimes maybe the path of least resistance. We prayed through every decision. We worked through stuff. We communicated values. We tried to do the things the best way we could. Yet here I was working full time. Here she was choosing to be with the children, especially in a time of like COVID and things. And we take a look at the partnership and it's like, whoa, this is really serve you, Mark. And, uh, wow, Karen is just out here and, uh, we're going to, she's got some, it's almost like she's had some ground to make up. Mm-hmm. 
But I really appreciated the way that you said that and the way that you said that, Gail. And I'm going to get to one of your responses that, that happened later in Seattle in a moment. But Brian, mm-hmm. would you share a little bit about some of that section on patriarchy and how you were confronted with it and how you've maybe transformed from that and, and against that or learning to be to practice against that? Yeah, no, I, I I appreciate it, Mark. I I've always I, I always tell Gail like I'm I'm kind of worried about getting hate mail from from guys, because I've already heard a couple cases of 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 guys' wives like quote like like pulling out the book and like <laughs> like pointing to it whenever they have something. And so I've had a couple guys in church like probably like what what's up with that chapter? Like I can't I can't just live now. Um, but that's kind of the that's kind of the point though. Exactly. Was was like as Gail and I kept having these kind of arguments over and over and over again. Um, you know, when you when you really love somebody, you gotta like listen, right? Mm. Um and then but then you also have to attend to their life. And I think something about once you kind of start to step back and say, you know, I could complain, I could kinda of, I see how she was kind of maybe getting treated in a job where she was kind of given all of like the side jobs, you know, she was like cleaning up, she was doing like the emailing, setting oh, up all that. And, mm-hmm. you know, you could, and it's really easy as the guy to be like, oh, that's messed up because you have gifts, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, she's also doing that for the house. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like she's doing that for us, for me. Um, and so then, so it takes like a special level of, of I don't want to say ignorance in terms of like you kind of willfully, but you got to have some blinders on to not listen and like make those connections. Mm. And, and I think, but it was like a long time. I mean, it was like 15, 20 years actually of mm-hmm. trying to really understand what the nature of that invisible work was mm-hmm. because, and, and Gail and I were just, we were just talking about this the other day. Cause you know, we have three boys, they're grown, <laughs> you know, the 24, 21, 18 mm. great guys, like centered, beautiful mm. men in in all kinds of ways and, and their wonderful individuality but but also like not necessarily immune mm-hmm. to these kinds of tendencies mm. right and and i think and Gail and i were like we're like what is that you know they grew up in a house with a strong feminine you know a strong woman yeah feminist feminist father like cooking mm-hmm. meals and do, like they've done their laundry since their own laundry since they were 10 mm-hmm. i mean so they know how to cook more or less um <laughs> but you still kind of see these kinds of things and, and what we realized was that you know it's all fine and good if if it's like if it's one way in the house but but in actuality every time they leave the house they don't got to worry about what they're wearing they don't have to worry about what their face looks like. Mm-hmm. They don't have to worry about like whether they're too disheveled. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't get questioned for things necessarily when they when they raise their voice. Mm-hmm. They have they have multiple passes. Mm-hmm. You know, if they haven't like done their work. You know, in the smallest kind of moment of intelligence or kindness or chivalry, mm-hmm. it's like, oh wow, you're a great dude. And yeah. so then they they live their whole life with so much freedom right that they never really have to attend to the to the women in their life and the ways that women the kinds of things that women have to do whereas you know like gail and i talk about it's like there's always a hyper awareness of what other people are going to think about how what you do impacts another person um how it's going to get interpreted 
And, and so the more that we kind of had these arguments and, and kind of sat back and reflected on them, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you start seeing these patterns in lots of different places. And it's not just marriages. It's like workplaces, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, who's planning the parties? Like who's like, who's creating the, the kind of the workflow plans for, uh, you know, an interview? Who's, who's doing all of this w- kind of like cement work to make things kind of join together and you're like, dang, this is everywhere. Mm. Um, and so when, what does it mean as a man to say, okay, if I'm going to do that work too, a, I have to attend to the people in my life in a different kind of way, mm-hmm. but even more importantly, I have to be okay with not being in charge. Mm. I have to be okay with the person that doesn't command the kind of respect that all these other people seem to command. Like I have to be okay being middle management, mm. um, you know, because that lets me get home at four to pick up the kids and make dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure like we as men have really like dealt with that, that, that we're okay if we're not in charge mm-hmm. and that we're still full, mm-hmm. whole, amazing individuals. If, if we're, even if we are at home with the kids you know, just doing a couple jobs to get by because they're flexible because mm-hmm. our, because our partner is a rock star. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So I think that there's, there, there's a lot of work for us to do in terms of what we, how we see ourselves and how we see the women in our lives and how we, even with our best intentions are actually creating very, very small spaces for them to work and thrive, regardless of whether or not there are, our kind of partners or, are kind of professional professional partners Mm -hmm. thanks for sharing that brian gail what's coming up for you as as brian is sharing that um first of all how lucky am i um secondly (laughs) um brian speaks of it as a rip current i speak of it as it's the air we breathe yeah Mm -hmm. um it's everywhere and it's all consuming. And a lot of times as in my experience and in my conversations and pastoring and mentoring of um, other people who are in similar situations, we're always trying to find small pockets of clean air Mm. where we can exhale, where we can, um, right. But it's always like we're seeking that space because how things inevitably unfold is just the air that's around us. Um, mm-hmm. It is it is what it is. And mm-hmm. I think that's where, uh, for a lot of us who carry the weight of the invisible work, as we talk about it, um, mm-hmm. uh, it's exhausting, but it's mm-hmm. also, it, it, it's... It, it's necessary because it's how life just keeps moving forward, right? We have to take care of, somebody's got to take care of the details. Somebody's got to take care of the to-dos. Um, somebody's got to implement and ask the question. And um, I think that's where it gets exhausting. Um, mm. But when men or our partners are willing to to listen, as Brian says, to, to see the gaps, to... Mm-hmm. to take account of the constant arguments that seemingly are the same Mm -hmm. and asking ourselves, wait, what can we do different? Mm -hmm. You know, as opposed to how can I help? What can I do different? Mm. 
you sharing that reminds me the listening and paying attention point. It reminds me of a, uh, it's so funny because I, I feel like this story, you've told me this story, but you wrote in, in billions of people, bil- billions of people now <laughs> <Right>. know this story <laughs> or have access to it. The day when you're in meetings all day and you come home and Brian, being the good feminist husband he is, is like, hey, babe, what do I get? What do I got to make for dinner? What's the plan for dinner? I think is, is the exact yeah. uh, mm-hmm. at least quote. I don't know how they actually happen. What's the plan for dinner, babe? You know? positive hopeful loving wants to partner wants to serve well and you say whatever you want the plan to be because i'm going to a meeting i got another (laughs) meeting after this whole day of meeting so whatever you make that plan and brian says hey that's that was a mcdonald's day but that was one of the days where he started to see back to what brian now called the cement work of like oh there's a to make dinner you have to make a dinner plan and that plan has to include ingredients and those ingredients must be in your home and they must be thought out and you must be and there's so much of that work. And so while you were sharing also, when Brian was sharing, it made me think of what it, what it might, might feel like for you, Gail. And you even said this, like, how lucky am I? And I think that comes from that place of the work that's been done on the back end. So he's now he's cooking all the time. Now he's owning a lot of that cement work, but I know, and maybe this is just me and I'm projecting a little bit. I'm going to locate myself. I know that there are times where Karen would look around and there'd be other partners who would look and be like, oh, wow, look, look, Mark is doing laundry. Wow, right. that's interesting. Right. In an apartment complex or something. They'd be like, wow, what a what a find you have there. And Karen would be like, shh, like, shh, like, yes, and. <laughs> and there's a sense of like, I don't know how to say this, where, where he writes, now he writes this section in the book. And now everybody reads and is like, oh, my gosh. But he's already done the work. There's years of work to now be trying to be like almost uh, anti-patriarchy we'll call it and so or feminist which I think is more clear and we use both of those maybe interchangeably but there's how have people responded on the back end actually that's not the right question the question is part of the question is how have what have been some of the most meaningful practices and I love your chapter in the book about trust and there are it's not like all like I'm going to take over all of the grocery shopping, all of the planning, all of the driving and all that. Like we would want it to be like, that. I know I, it's just like, I want to switch from like, Oh, I was totally mindless. And now I'm going to be completely mindful and own it all and try to be super, super uh, partner now. But for you, what are some of the most meaningful practices that he did to make an adjustment where you said that you felt listened to, seen, heard, and that, oh, wow, he's really partnering with me now. I don't have to hold this on my own. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good question. Um, I also want to clarify that I don't think anybody fully arrives. Mm. And so when I say how lucky am I, inside of that phrase is also I'm lucky. I'm I'm grateful for him, not because he's perfect. And not because he does everything right and no longer allows me to do all the invisible work. But it's the it's it's the posture of Mm. if I were to bring it back up, if he were to walk through here, which it happens in 2022 in the year of our Lord, it happens. He says, hey, what should we do for this? Even in this whole book launch, right? There's all kinds of details that need to be met. Yeah. Hey, what are we going to (laughs) do? But it's when I bring it up mm. 
babe, that's not the question. He quickly recognizes, makes adjustments, is introspective, and we move mm. forward. Mm-hmm. Does that does that make sense? So it's it's and same with me. Same with me. Like we never arrive. We're never mm-hmm. at a point where there's no disagreements. There's no conflict. There's always conflict. There's always tension. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's how how we kind of carry ourselves, recognize, and move forward. Mm. And that's where I think the trust is. I, I mm. deeply trust this guy because I know that when I say something, he's going to take it to heart. Mm. because at the end of the day, I know that he is for me and that he is for us thriving. Mm. Wow. That's, that's really beautiful and, uh, and really meaningful. It, it reminds me of one of the last chapters in the book where you talk about trust and covenant. And specifically when you talked about, we, we, we form and we bend to our partners and we, we, we become a we instead of a two ones or me's. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you mentioned that, like he's been introspective because we're all breathing this air and in, mm-hmm. in lots of different spaces, we can just, Brian and I can walk and just be, and we can ask a question. And if we show that we want to ask the question, that's enough. And we get, we get celebrated by other people where that's enough. And which is where, what I love what you said, Brian, is that we're, we might be celebrated for that less, it's less than flourishing. It's less than flourishing even for us when we say like, well, what's the plan? And people go, wow, you care about the plan. You're willing to execute the plan. Wow. And it's like, look at you, you good little plan executor, you or whatever. In my <laughs> mind, that kind of like, and that even that is patriarchal. It's like, it's demeaning and it's like less than, but to be called to more, this is about flourishing. This is about us. And, and we love each other in that covenant together. But I love those questions that you asked. And, and, and I, something about that posture, to know that your partner has a posture, I guess back to that, the air breathing thing is there are going to be times where we miss it and we're going to come and we need our partner to remind us of who we're capable of being and what we're striving for and what this relationship, the values that kind of govern this relationship. So I love that. And then what you said about the introspection and that, you know, is my partner introspective? Have, do they have practices or rhythms that are making them self-aware, conscientious to the things that are driving their lives or, or mm-hmm. the, the emotions or the, the histories that are shaping this very moment. Mm-hmm. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that, Gail. Yeah, Brian, and I, I also want to just, I, if I can, just um, yes. recognizing that our formation mm. in all of who we are, it runs so deep. And to expect somebody to be able to just change and understand and be a different person overnight is unreasonable, right? Mm. And so even if I take myself in, into this equation, yes, he's very introspective, but you know, in general, not everyone, but in general, a lot of young men and young boys in their context are kind of formed in a way where they don't have to think about their bodies. They don't have to think about the details Mm -hmm. of life. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas as a woman in Korean American immigrant, second generation immigrant family, I more so than my brother was asked and formed to think about all the different ways that we are, um, 
mindful of the people that come to our house, that we are serving um, our guests, that we are, everything is clean. So imagine that over the years. And as an adult, then mm. when I get into a pressed space, I'm like, this house better be clean. Mm. We got to, mm-hmm. we got to cook this kind of food. And that's right. So he's also helped me to be like, you know, you can chill a little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't have, don't stress out when it's not all lined up and all perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's part of my formation that my worth somehow is tied to the exterior presentation. Mm. Mm. Right. And so I think in that sense, there's a kind of mutuality there of grace, of being introspective, of learning to like move and bend toward each other in that sense to make this thing work, not to be like each other, but uh, what's the best way in our differences to allow this house to run as mutually and as flourishing for everyone involved. Mm. And, And I think the thing about it too, is that there's, there's kind of like these two pieces. And I think this is why, we, why having the gender stuff was so important to us and even the, even the kind of and then the race culture stuff race ethnicity right because it's all layered there's never just oh i'm this is just who i am and these are the things i'm good at and this mm-hmm. is how i need to um but so for example so on the one hand this kind of lack of attention to detail blah 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 uh, is maybe a kind of characteristic that's maybe more common to men because they don't have to necessarily are not always confronted by those details, but whether it was formation or personality, like I'm terrible at details, mm-hmm. like terrible. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm a kind of like, think about it five minutes ahead of time, improvise. And I'm, I'm a good improviser. I can throw yes, some stuff are. together with a few minutes, mm-hmm. but something's going to get forgotten. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, whereas, whereas Gail is a planner because she wants everything to, both because the way that she functions and the way that she kind of navigates events, you know, whether they're mm-hmm. dinners or whatever, it's like, she's kind of like, okay, babe, what are we going to talk about? Mm-hmm. Okay. What are some things that, how should we kind of go about this? And I'm like, you know, let's just, let's just free flow. Let's just do this. <laughs> but part of what ends up happening though, is that I'm just not good at some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And in a kind of patriarchal world, it was okay if I wasn't good at it because there'd be a woman to pick up the slack. Mm. But mm. what it also means is, learning to say that even though I'm not good at it means that I have to learn how to get better at it for the sake of my partner. But, and then that's also where the trust is. So she knows I'm trying to get better, Mm -hmm. but she also knows like we just, like the other day we were trying to, we were making, we were were going back and forth in a group email for trying to make a date. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to take care of this. I I got this. I got this. I'm going to be, take initiative. I'm going to be the correspondent. And and I'm waiting. she's just like oh great i get the date totally wrong like and so she just kind of jumps in she's like i think what he meant to say was march such and such and i was like oh yeah yeah that's that's what i meant that's what i meant Mm. and so so i think in this kind of notion of, of mutual flourishing there's there has to be a way of seeing both acknowledging the ways that we're formed in society to not be able to see certain things Mm-hmm. Also recognize that the ways our personalities are and just who we are also means that certain things were stronger in some things and we're a little weaker in others. And then how can we kind of lift one another up even as we're trying to to get better? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then I think the other part of it, though, and this was kind of you kind of were talking a little bit about this formation thing. The thing that the thing that Gail said that really stuck in my craw a little bit and like 
like both pissed me off, but also made me have have to grow and mm. reflect. Was she was like, you say you're not good at details, but when it comes to the things that you like, you Come on. you plan you plan the ish out of that stuff. Mm. And I was like, uh, uh, mm, uh, uh, yeah, kind of actually. My whole day is set. I go off. I'm gonna go for a long bike ride. I got my, I got my kit set out. I got my food all lined up. I got mm-hmm. the dog. I got a plan for the dog. Mm-hmm. I got a plan mm-hmm. for dinner. Everything is oriented around that. And she's like, you, you can do it. Oh man, it's just a matter of whether or not you want to do it. And I'm oh, like, boys, oh, man. that, that hurts. That just, because she's so, she's right, but it just pisses me off, right? So. So the more she kind of pointed that out in terms of the ways that I did take initiative with certain kinds of things, I was like, okay, I like, well, I got to like apply these skills to some other things and make other things, things that I'm passionate about, like make the house, the thing that I'm passionate about. Mm. And again, this comes back to the patriarchy thing. It's like us as men, we're given the freedom to put a lot of investment in things that we care about Mm -hmm. and then things Mm. that are common other folks, women can take care of. Oh. And oh, so man. that's where the flip has to be is to say, no, like it's calm. It's, it's common, mm-hmm. which means that I have to care about it. I don't mm. have to just like do it because it makes my wife happy. Like I have to care about it. It needs to make me happy that mm. dinner's taken care of. It needs to make me happy that we have a plan for the dog. Um, and that's a big, and that's a big shift. Mm. Um, that's a big shift. Brian, that's, that's really helpful that you said that. I think that last piece, I don't know that that comes out in the book, but I think that this needs to make me happy. And I think that's part of what it means, mutual flourishing. And you, I think yeah. we, we talk a lot about, you talk a lot about mutual flourishing in the end of the book. And I think if that is a one of the, the mantras we have in our mind as we're navigating partnership, that this needs to make me happy. And I'm, I'm, for whatever reason, this is, I'm not designed. I don't, I have not, um, my life hasn't designed around this way of being in the world. I haven't had to hold the, the details of things in this way around this thing, whether that's home or the cement work, the grind work that really holds things together. I haven't had to do that, but it needs to be done. And for my partner to flourish, and you mentioned this, Brian, in one section where it was like, Gail, I could do it, but if I don't do it in the right way, then she's still not going to be able to flourish. Like, she's still going to be carrying those details. If I don't hold them the right way, she's still going to be carrying them while I'm trying to, like, support her in what she wants to be doing. She's going to be split in kind of two places. Her mind will try to be there, but because this isn't handled in a way that truly honors like holds it the way that she needs it to be held. And so I really love what you said there about like, no, 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 no. Like I need to learn to like, like this and this thing to like to do this, not for me and for her and for the flourishing of both of us and for the flourishing of the things that it touches like our children. And while you're sharing that story, it just reminded me of like, I would say like a recurring, um, you guys call it intense fellowship. Uh, but one of our argument, it was like the same way. And it wasn't, it was like a weird, almost like a defense mechanism in me where I'm like very similar thing, the detail and the attention to detail and the perceptiveness and intentionality with those things, the cement work of the home and the home schedule and our babies and all the things. And I would say, babe, we have practiced this way of functioning together for 15 years 
And and it's like I'm being like, I, you can't expect me to do, you know, I'll give myself the own little like the little the baby boy voice. I'm like, you can't expect me to do something I haven't done for 15 years and just be great or whatever. But I really was like trying to hide so I could just feel I could feel Karen's voice and Gail's voice about, yo, like you do this for some stuff like you could do this for this, too. But I and I really resonate with that for me, just that like. For whatever reason, all the different stories and all the different narr- narratives that I've held. But at the end of the day, I deeply and truly want flourishing. And if in our partnerships you get to that place where you want flourishing for your partner and for yourself, then then that becomes, it, that's the marker, that's the goal, which I love you guys talk about. It's not the destination of where this takes us, but this is the journey together and that covenant commitment to one another. Like I will walk alongside mm-hmm. you. The destination is secondary. You are primary and us is primary. And so when flourishing and mutual flourishing becomes top priority, then everything else has to submit to that. So I, I, I was a little triggered by you sharing that too, Brian. So we, we've both been a little triggered by that. But And that's okay because it's just demanding that we become, that's patriarchy. Patriarchy wants us to be like, no, you don't have to do that. You never had to do that, man. What is the world? The world is, that's just media. That's just the, no, that's, that's, that's you living into your total image of godness so that your partner can live into their total image of godness so that your partnership can become its total beauty and image yeah. of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So good. So, so Gail, I want to come back to, for you, there's this moment in Seattle where, and this is, it's really interesting because I think all of the the stories, the narratives, the emotion, it's almost like they, they come to a head. And Brian is thinking, ooh, better job. And I don't know the details, so I'm just going to like throw some sauce mm-hmm. on it. Better job, more flexibility, more money, more da 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 da. I got to put on my, my uh, I was going to say uh, a name of a company, but I'll just say a a company name voice, more money, more time, more flexibility for me uh, or for us. And even, you know, that stuff gets even cloaked in. It's not even cloaked in because all of our desires for flourishing are still there. But sometimes the, the it's almost like the leaven of patriarchy, of self-centeredness or or the stories that we come with. Like, this isn't comfortable to me. I haven't been here long enough, so I don't feel safe yet. This still feels unfamiliar. All those things start to come in. But what I really loved, and I'm going to pull up the quote because I want to get it right. There comes this moment where, uh uh-oh, I'm back here. Just note that ain't it. (laughs) Ooh, this one. And this isn't, this doesn't tell the total story, but this is like the heart of, of what you're talking about in your, in your chapter about bulbs and rubber balls. You talk about some things are delicate, like a glass, like a light bulb, and you have to hold that thing. Well, other things in certain seasons are like rubber balls and you don't have to be so tender or cautious about those things. You can hold them a little bit more loosely. And there was a mm-hmm. season where it was your, t- you have sacrifice. I went to Durham. I followed you to Duke and I followed you. And now is my, we both discern, we both had peace about that this was for me and that this season was going to be about me. And you mentioned this moment where, okay, there's new opportunity, more money or whatever. And you, you describe it as callousness. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. You said, 
those conversations where it was this competing values of maybe what felt like for him flourishing in the moment and what felt like for you flourishing in the moment. And you said Mm -hmm. you came to this, this point and those conversations, they weren't cute, they weren't pretty, but there was a kind of callousness that you had to overwhelm your heart in order to not let the bulb of your flourishing drop in that moment. Would you share a little bit more? And the question is around that sentiment because sometimes it's Mm -hmm. almost like justice. And you talked about growing up a Mm -hmm. fighter and having to Mm -hmm. fight for peace and fight for justice. So you knew it wasn't just like peace Mm -hmm. isn't just the absence of conflict. And you're thinking, okay, I refuse. There's a sense of refusal to go backward or refusal to acquiesce in that moment. Would you share more about some of what makes up that moment? Because I think some of it is natural. Some of it is mm-hmm. principled. Some of it is, we said this is what it's going to be. Would you share more mm-hmm. about that? Yeah, I think it's all of the above. And it, 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 I don't think for me it mattered that it was my partner. Right? Mm. It, it, was, it, was, it was a conviction. Mm-hmm. It was a mutual agreement that this season was. And I, I am very much about covenant and about promise and about agreement. If we say that this is what we're about, unless we both then say, okay, we're done with that. We're moving on to something else. We mm-hmm. follow through. Um, and so in that moment, I realized, which is not uncommon for a lot of folks who are in the, on the margins. And mm. so in this moment, it's about, it's about, you know, like many women in these scenarios always end up having to follow their husbands. Mm-hmm. Um, their husband's jobs are primary. Usually the husband makes more money. So therefore it makes sense. We go with the money because it's provision, yeah. Yeah. right? I'm taking care of us. Um, but in that moment, there was something that just came over me. Uh, never mind the fact that I felt like I was flourishing. Like I actually finally found a job and a role that I loved waking up in the morning to. Mm. I love the people that I worked with, right? And I, my kids were finally in school. <laughs> I was finally working full time um, and just really able to spread my wings in that season. And so mm. there was a moment when I said, I cannot let this go. I can't let what, what the tendency for me sometimes is to make sure everyone around me is doing well. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the running thing is that, you know, if everybody around me is happy, the people that I love that I'm happy, but in some ways that's not totally true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think as I get older, I'm becoming more confident in the fact that like, no, I need to be happy too. And mm-hmm. so what, what are you doing partner, Brian, husband to make sure that I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes it means that we got to, we have to put our feet foot down and say, no, I don't think this is the right moment. And I don't think that's the right decision and mm-hmm. kind of have to fight for ourselves in that, yeah. you know? So uh, we do that out in society and sometimes you actually have to do it in your closest relationships too. Mm-hmm. Gail, what I love about hearing you say that is that when you mm-hmm. say that to him, it doesn't just shock his system or whatever. I don't, I don't know how that, um, intense mm-hmm. fellowship or slightly intense fellowship or whatever level of fellowship that was at that day. Yeah. Yeah. But what I know is that ends up settling him into a new level of flourishing himself. 
And that is so beautiful. And that when you, you, you both get into that at the end of the book about flourishing and, and this is inherent in some of the ideas of what do we think flourishing really is? Like what is flourishing really? Is it more money? Is it a bigger house? Half a more kid? What is, what's going to be more flourishing for you? But I, I love in hearing you say that now, your mm-hmm. efforts, you, I'm an Enneagram two wing three. So I don't know what Enneagram okay. you are. Not that it matters or any of that stuff. Also just part <laughs> of my makeup. Right. So yep. I resonate when you say like the people around me and learning to navigate people's emotional states of being and their well-being and their mental states of being all that stuff that resonates in me and what Mm -hmm. i love is that sometimes the fight for your the covenant you've made or the truth that you've come to is also going to push provoke the people around you into more flourishing for them and it might not feel like Mm -hmm. it in that moment in that moment brian might have felt like okay i have to surrender this opportunity for more money for more writing and different things like that you write about but it ends up being something that pushes brian into more centeredness and more Mm -hmm. flourishing at least from the way that's told in the book and i i just love Mm -hmm. that that moment that you fought for this gets into what you talk about peacemaking and and what i would interpret it versus peacekeeping where you you push back in a hard way that says nope 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 not today and that ends up being more flourishing for everyone and doing the very thing you would have tried to do by maybe acquiescing. Yeah. And I think I defined peace for me as this complicated marriage between what is just and what is possible. I think Mm. my intent, my intent behind that, you know, digging my heels in the ground in that moment was maybe twofold in that I knew if we left, and I acquiesced, I would not be happy. Mm. And I would have to start over again, which I've had to start over multiple times. And if I'm honest, it was also me saying, yes, I want you to flourish, but I also need you in this season because I'm flourishing to figure it out. Or at least kind of bear the burden a little bit for a season while you know, I'm in this space. And I don't know what that figuring out is going to look like for you, but you're going to need to figure it out. Mm. And I think so there, there's both. And like knowing that what is to come was not going to be pretty mm-hmm. if we did go. Mm. Um, and that's not good for anybody. Right. And so it is that notion of like, hey, the, the just thing here is to, to keep pushing for what we said we were going to do. Mm-hmm. And then also what could be the possibilities if we do. Mm-hmm. And I think that what that, I mean, and what it highlights is, and I think this is something that we, I think we've tried to do throughout our, our, our relationship and in the moments and when things have gone real, really off the rails is when we haven't done it well. And that is be honest. Like mm-hmm. you, you can't flourish if you're not honest. Right. Even if yes. it's like good, even if it's good intentions, you know, like, oh. oh, I know this person really likes this and I'm not really down for it. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. Pretend like I pretend like I'm OK with it. And then you keep going to the same thing over and over and over again. And and then finally it just blows up or like mm. or like you 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 do it. But you're just kind of you, the, everybody knows you're not really happy about it. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So. But then you never really say that you don't really want to do it. So you can't really ever have like an honest conversation mm, mm-hmm. about what it would look like for you 
to be happy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I think in a lot of ways, like that idea of peace, that idea of flourishing, when it came to the big things for us was always like, let's put everything on the table. Mm-hmm. And when those things align, we can trust that, that, that God's doing something. When they don't align, it means that we got to hold steady, even if whatever, whatever configuration of discomfort that is, mm. because God is continuing to work and, and, and that has yeah. not worked itself out. And so we need to wait and be patient. Um, and so that's even, even in all of our decision making. Our decision making is a very weird, convoluted process where <laughs> usually it's Gail starts it with a question. Hey, should we do this? And I'm like, uh, like I, I'm not really sure. And it's like us like drinking coffee in the morning or like mm-hmm. I'm doing something. Like I, I'm like, I'm not really sure. And so then we, it's just all of a sudden it just drops. And then it comes up again a couple of weeks later or maybe six months later. And then we talk a lot about it a little bit more. And then, but then there's other times when she'll bring something up and they're like, oh yeah, I think we should do that. And then we just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether it's six months or a year or whether it's a couple of days for the decision to make, we can... There always needs to be trust, though, that whatever it is that we're thinking about in that moment, that it's okay. So, like, my hesitation is okay. Mm-hmm. God yeah. works through my hesitation. God works through my rootedness. God works through my aversion to change. Yes. And then Gail yes. also works. God also works through Gail's like, like trailblazing mm-hmm. through Gail's like question through Gail's mm-hmm. anticipation, mm-hmm. Um, and that through the mix, the kind of alchemy. Mm. Of, those two, of those two things, that there are really profound possibilities for what God will do between the two of us. Mm-hmm. What's interesting and what I love about what you just said, back to what you said about being honest. And I think about like mm-hmm. making decisions, having all the information in front of you. But the ways that sometimes we think it serves as our partner to hold back the total truth the total truth of how something makes us feel. Or we feel like maybe not right now. Now is not the right time for that. But sometimes we don't get it back around to the actual time for that. And this leads me again back to those questions that you put at the back of the book. How are we doing with introspection? How aware are we of what we actually are feeling? Why is this bothering me so much? Why, why is this new rhythm, this new way of being that we're trying to do in the world, why is it bothering me so much? And I think that that honesty is really important and is really hard for a lot of us human beings in the world. And a lot of times we are trying to navigate. We're navigating around people's emotions. We want people to be well. We want to be well. And honesty is really hard. And so when you said that, like the first thing that came up in me, I'm like, yo, I think it took me two years of therapy before I could be honest with myself when when my Mm -hmm. emotions didn't line up to my aspirational reality let alone like for me to then be like courageous and generous enough to share that with Karen so that she can understand me and navigate that. And sometimes that might cost her something and sometimes it might cost me something, Mm -hmm. but I really Mm -hmm. love that invitation back to honesty and remember like that we can't, we can't do a a peaceful decision-making discernment kind of process together if we don't have all the information with one another. And sometimes it's real easy. Like I think sometimes anger makes us, helps us be honest. It's almost like being drunk or something like that, where it's like, yeah, "Yeah, you know what? You don't, I'm not holding back right now. You're going to get this honesty today. And sometimes maybe fear makes us more honest or, but there's, it's interesting how that honesty is, is just really important. And, and we, we won't be able to get to flourishing 
without that vital piece of being honest. So thanks. I mean, for even sharing. after, I mean, after 27 years, something about you know the pandemic brings out all kinds of stuff, <laughs> and so we, so we just Gail and I just realized like we need to have a policy now because for 26 years, you know, Gail processes everything externally. So, so pretty much from the time we wake up in the morning, like we're she's processing, like we're doing. And so, which generally is okay because you know because then she goes to work, and then and then she comes back and That's continues so to process. <laughs> But in the pandemic, she she's she's home all the time, so every everything's always getting processed. And so after a while, it was a point of tension because after a while, I was just like, mm-hmm. "I'm just like, are you listening?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." <laughs> and so we had to have a conversation though to basically say, "She said, look, like if you if your bandwidth is full and you can't mm. talk, can you just tell me? That's actually easier. Yeah, can you just tell me, like, babe, I want I want to process this with you, but I, like, I I need to just." Yeah. Get in, put my headphones on, watch Netflix, and just chill for a couple hours because I've been at it all day. Like that would just mm-hmm. help me. Mm-hmm. You know, for twenty seven years, like I thought I was helping by being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like half heartedly. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, I just need to be honest <laughs> and say like, I just need I need to need an hour or yeah. two or three. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, and, and so whether it's like the really big things, but oftentimes even in the small things, mm-hmm. you know, can you trust mm-hmm. each other enough to say like, this is what I need right now? Mm-hmm. And she might say like, no, I need to process this right now. I'm like, okay, well, this must be really serious then. Mm-hmm. So let me just like, I'll, I'll set that out. I'm ready. I'm ready. And I can kind of dial in and be present as opposed to this kind of half baked thing off yeah. and on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that, that gets back to that. How honesty is just so important. And, and that gets back into some of what we talk about, what you talk about in the book, the role playing. And we think that I, a good partner will listen even when they don't have capacity to listen. A good partner will put on a face and say, mm-hmm, 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 when they're not even actually listening. And it's not helpful, but we're trying to be what we think we're supposed to be in that moment. Mm-hmm. But the, the invitation of mutual flourishing and choosing us and who you are as a couple and what you've given into the world is honesty in that moment is going to get us further than doing what's always been done or trying to fulfill some sort of role. And that's really helpful. I think what would be helpful too in, in the podcast, we try to reimagine some scripture and you guys, you, you all imagine some beautiful scripture in here, Brian uh, talking about, Genesis and Gail, you're talking about the the Hebrew boys and what real faith is, and uh, but if not kind of faith and that kind of trust and building that kind of trust, and I really love that. So they have some beautiful interpretation of scripture in the book and even online. Both of them, you can check that out. I want us to talk about maybe a passage of scripture that's been I, I don't want to call it a clobber passage. It's, it's it's a tough passage, even in trying to think of a way to to narrate it or read it in a way that's equitable is really strange and challenging, but we're going to get into it anyway, because I think the world will be a better place when we get to hear both of your perspectives on Ephesians 5. So let me read a section of Ephesians 5, and then I'd love to hear, especially on this back end of choosing flourishing and mutuality and trust and honesty and and what comes up for us in this moment with that. So let me read a little bit. This is Ephesians 5. Paul's writing to this church, the Metropolitan Church. And 
the scripture is thousands of years old and it's it's baked the air if we think the air we breathe is patriarchy then the air the scripture breathes is super de duper patriarchy and so anyway this culture that paul's writing into it's like he's being progressive in some of the language that he uses in here and in other places about women in leadership and for us we're like yo are you kidding me because it's 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 definitely not seattle in 2022 so we're going to read this passage and uh, we're going to think through it together. Here's, here's Paul on, on partnership and uh, marriage. Paul says in verse 21, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your partner as you are to the Lord for your, see, this is weird. I'm trying to read this. I tried to do this several times where I could try and flip it. I'm going to, I'm just going to try to flip as much as possible, but then it gets weird. So here we go again. Wise be subject to your partners as you are to the Lord for the husband is the head of the partner, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the savior. Look, I, I this hasn't happened before. I literally tried to do this early and think through, how do we do this? I'm just going to read it how it is translated in NRSV, and then we can get into it. Y'all, those of y'all who have same-sex partners and all that stuff, look, we love you and we hold space for you, and we're with you, and we honor the space you live in. This, this text doesn't do that well, so we're just going to go there and figure it out together. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he's the savior, just as the church is subject to Christ. So also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. So as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I'm applying it to Christ in the church. We'll stop there. What what are some of our thoughts? I, I feel like I just opened up the humongous the biggest can of worms I could possibly find in my in my in my home slash studio here. Um, what are what are some thoughts? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot that could be said. Um, maybe what we could what we could start with is is what do we even think scripture is, mm. right? So, so is scripture a verbatim guidebook to exactly the ways that we ought to live every aspect of our life? You know, and if, if that's what scripture is, and sure, that passage becomes somewhat problematic, um, or could possibly be problematic. Um, B, you know, God forbid somebody takes a letter that I wrote to Gail and 500 years later, all of a sudden says it's gospel and we need to do exactly what it says. Mm. Like, I don't want to make, that make no sense. Right. Paul mm. was writing to some folks about a very specific problem in a very specific context. And with his own blind spots, difficulties, 
And I and I always wonder, like, well, how would Paul write that letter knowing how people used it? Mm. I think he would have made some qualifications. I mm-hmm. think he would have been a little clear. Mm-hmm. I think he would have, or he would have been clear in some ways that are less helpful. <laughs> so, so let's just, so I think in that part, like, we always have to, like, I think, have a caveat in terms of how we think God works and speaks in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And it's not through the jot and tittle, encyclopedic notion of, of, of rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. It is about a constant unfolding rhythm and pattern of the ways that God is with us and the ways that we can be with one another and the ways that all of us can be with God. And those patterns are not, are, there's, and so if we think about these larger patterns, those larger patterns are present in that scripture in a different way than, than a kind of rule and regulation, right? Mm-hmm. Because in fact, it's, we think of it as like, it, it has, he kind of takes the language of hierarchy, right? But then inside of every hierarchical distinction, he actually presses in a profound relationality that confuses mm. the hierarchy, mm-hmm. right? So love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? Christ submitted himself to the church, mm-hmm. served the church, cooked for the church, fed mm. the church, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Embraced the church, mm-hmm. walked with the church and attended to all of its various needs in such a way that we don't not that that's not a vision of of masculine hierarchical leadership. Mm-hmm. Right? If we think about like what does that look like? It looks like woman's work mm. in actuality. Right? Mm. And so then if you think about this language of submission, and so what all of a sudden what happens is that this mutuality that's that Paul is weaving into this relationship between men and women is actually a kind of dance. If we want to use a really fancy word, we'll, we'll call it par- a perichoretic relationality. Ugh. It is the relationality of, of, of the first and the second person bound up in the movement and the activity of the third person of the spirit, right? That mm. makes it such that you can't quite tell where the act of the one ends and the act of the other begins. And yet at the same time, you also know that there's distinction inside of those things, right? Mm. And so in some ways, what Paul is doing is not making the lines clear. He's actually blurring them. Yeah. And that's the radical subversion, which actually brings us back to what it even means to be made in the image of God when quote unquote maleness and femaleness, right? Mm. That in fact, what is it? The, the God didn't make a marriage when God made the two the first two creatures. It's because marriage isn't inherent to who God is. Because if marriage was inherent to who God is, then those who are single would not be an image of God, right? Mm. Which means that what it means to be made image of God with these two creatures is something different than marriage. What is the difference? It is a profound, radical mutuality. Mm. I am not you without me. I'm not you without... I'm not me without you, and you're not you without me, Mm. which is what is the mutuality that exists in God's life, right? And that mutuality is not a marriage mutuality. That's a human being relationality that's inflected indifference, right? So I'm not who I am without my brother. I'm not who I am without my mother. I'm not who I am without my friends, without my church community. And I'm also not who I am without this one whom God has given to me. 
So in some ways, that mutuality creates a kind of space and possibility for covenantal marriage that looks all kinds of ways, mm -hmm. you know, not just a man and a woman, mm -hmm. as though that mm -hmm. is the kind of singular way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. It is a profound mutuality that says, I'm going to bend and love you into myself into you, trusting that you're going to bend and love yourself into me. Mm. And that's radical. That's a subversion of the patriarchy that I mm. like to think that Paul imagined. But even if Paul didn't imagine, mm. that's also already what the pattern of scripture shows us. Mm. That God doesn't, mm -hmm. God's love for us is always a presence that is intimate and mutual and tender and, and creates life and does not demand mm a kind of obedience um, mm -hmm. in the ways that I think a patriarchal society imagines it. Mm. Yeah, Gail, we just got to kind of step back on that for a second. I mean, you know. <laughs> Jeez, Louis, I was like, yo, man, if Brian, if how do we make it so that every person who ever touches a microphone has to be trained by Brian? Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Now you know what it's like to live with him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. We just we just chop it up over coffee. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. I, I really appreciate I think that that's the the challenge of when we hear this. I think the people who have been wounded by these texts mm -hmm. primarily women, disempowered, uh it's like cisgendered women or you know, there's so many complex dynamics that try to that are married and partnered and covenanted together and then this passage gets like taught on and the youtube video mm -hmm. goes up by whoever it is with whatever reach of influence or whatever and it's kind of like stand alone and i love that i think the mark of helpful teachers is that they help us to contextualize and so brian the professor of theology reminds us that yeah that that could be that can be that 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 was a tough couple lines to read thank god it's in mm -hmm. a complete library of letters and books and right. and to remind us that oh no 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 the, the trajectory of the scripture is mutuality mm -hmm. and togetherness and subversion to empirical power and an invitation to divine power within each of us that's god breathed from the very beginning of this thing to the very end of the thing so i love that you would pull us back and and um like zoom us out and remind us yeah that that's that can be tough to hear i heard you stumble over trying to make it equitable and i, I get that but remember it's in this whole line of things gail what, and also what just thinking? realizing yeah and just realizing the contextuality of that passage because further down yeah Yep. Right. It even says slaves obey your master. That was used to oppress. But somehow mm -hmm. over the years, we've now just lifted out the husband and wives and we no longer even talk about slaves and masters. Right. So I, th I feel like the way Brian describes the sense of mutuality and subversion, it's it, it reminds me, even as you were reading it, Mark, um, it's understandable when I think about it in the Korean context, mm. Korean cultural context, language like that would make sense because it's such a patriarchal society and culture. Mm -hmm. 
right? But even in that, when I think about Korean culture and the the ways that men operate and the expectations of women in society, it's very subversive. Even when you take a very understood and embraced patriarchal culture, even in current in its current form, and you read it with that in mind, it's also very it's it's subversive mm. Uh, mm. for a man to be expected in this term, the husband to be expected to radically serve their wife. Mm-hmm. even unto death mm-hmm. um, for their flourishing. Um, that is uh, that that is itself kind of even in the modern context of a society that is understood to be patriarchal, right? And so, yeah, I, 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 I probably, I couldn't say it any better than what Brian said. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And Bri- Brian we- bringing it always back to creation. Mm. Always, <laughs> always. I love you some creation. Mm. <laughs> I th- I think what's really helpful. It goes back to what you guys talk about trust in a relationship, and so I think there's some dots connecting for me about who we've known God to be and who we've experienced God to be. I think about people who've been wounded by the church, who have been marginalized by harmful beliefs about who God is. And these things have ostracized them from community, but they know they have experienced the nature of who God is. And then when, then when a, a passage about submission that seems to put a man ahead of a woman, it can be disorienting and feels like that's not in line with who God is. And I think Gail, when you brought up the, the slaves obey your masters passage, which is in the next chapter, it reminded, like for me, for so long, the women in leadership conversation, slaves and masters passage, I'd be like, yo, don't talk. I don't, I don't know. I'd be in churches. They'd be like, what do you think about this? I'd be like, yo, you sound like a moron. Like, please don't talk to me about that. That's, that. And But I had no theological grounding, though, because I just, I was like, yo, doesn't sound like the God that I've experienced. So I don't know what to do with that passage, but deuces, I'm not having this conversation with you. And I, I love that what I'm hearing you say, and that brings me back to one of the tenets of your book about trust and step by step and in the small things and sometimes in the big things. For those of us, I think about the queer community where you were told your whole life, God is good and you are ultimately loved and there's nothing that you could do. There's no height, no depth, no angel, nor demon. Nothing can separate you. And then one day you wake up attracted to somebody of the same gender and you're like, whoop. I think this might be a problem. You feel that it's a problem. You start navigating your world awkwardly, but you still have this resonance that like, wait, God is good. I've had experiences that are true, that Mm -hmm. trust. And it's like the trust gets broken or fractured in certain interpretations of scripture that don't remind us that God is good, that you are good, that this is, this, this is a through line of mutuality and that this is that Jesus was subverting the power that that was and that that Paul here is subverting some of the patriarchy that was and inviting into mutuality. But when it's not communicated that way, it becomes a part of this fracturing of the trust. And I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is if this invitation from Gail and Brian is to remember, like you can lean into the trust of who did who did you understand God to be when 
when you when you saw this Palestinian Jewish male surrender himself to the Roman Empire and be lynched publicly and never back down from his solidarity with those who were poor and the woman, those who were powerless, something resonated in us. And sometimes we see a representative or someone who has a microphone or a voice and they say something that fractures trust. And I guess it's, can we, can we take it as maybe that person might be untrustworthy or maybe that person is, is, is still on their journey but can we lean into the trust of your own experiences or encounters with God? And sometimes we don't have enough of those to withstand the fracturing, but I really love, I feel really invited into trust by both of you, your presence mm-hmm. and your interpretation of this passage. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate mm-hmm. both of you. Yo, cheese Louise. Thanks, Thank you both for your time. Sisters and brothers, yo, this book on marriage is the best book I've ever read on marriage. It's the distinctness of it, not just both of their voices, who, which you've heard and are lovely and invite us into flourishing personal and mutual and becoming a we. This book is an extraordinary investment into you as a person and into your partnership. I love how seriously it takes who you are. You're not just a male. You're not just an Enneagram three or seven. You're not just a female. You're not just Korean. You, this book will invite you to understand how complex and wonderfully made you are, how complex mm-hmm. and wonderfully made your partner is, and how beautiful and wonderfully made your partnership can become as you, go, as you, as you move towards flourishing and make that a benchmark and, and lean into covenant. This book is extraordinary. I, I wouldn't just, I can't wait to just, I'm gonna keep on shoving it in people's faces because it's extraordinary and lovely. Thank you, Brian and Gail. How can people get connected to you? How, how, how would you like us to support you and partner with you as you guys continue to spread this beautiful, beautiful message? Well, they can um, find us at our website, thebantamspace.com. And that's where you can find out more about us, about the book, all that good stuff. Awesome. All right, we're coming there. We're going to follow you. We'll put all your stuff into the the notes on the podcast. We appreciate uh, the time you've taken with us today, the time you've taken to write this book, and the years and years of intentionality and centered, faithful journey towards and with God and with each other that have led to this invitation for people like me to grow and in my partnership. So thank you so much, y'all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for having us, Mark. You're so good. Adios, y'all. We'll talk to you next week.